Hi everyone, this is Karin Eglinton and I am here today with my dear friend, mentor and co-creator Jennifer Harvey Salon and we are happy to be back with our newest conversation on gifted trauma today. So it's been quite a while since we last recorded, almost a year actually, and so before we get started on our discussion on gifted trauma that we had planned for today for you all, I wanted to give you a little um, peek behind the scenes and let you know what we've been working on in the intervening time. So it, since last year, we created um, an intergifted partner project, which we've called I Heart Earth. Some of you know it, and for some of you, you might not be aware of it yet. Uh, I Heart Earth is a project in which we share um, climate education resources and, and, and we work on environmental regeneration themes. And uh, it is not gifted specific, but many in our community um, participate and, and really enjoy and benefit from the resources that we share there. And in the last week, Jan published a really fantastic article on the topic of ecological intelligence and this is more specifically through the gifted lens and so this is sort of a, a born out of the work that we've done with I Heart Earth and a lot of the work that John has done behind the scenes for the last years um, on these themes and we'll be putting a link in the description for you all to have the pleasure of reading the article um, so that you can see what we've been up to, what Jen's been up to, and what we've created in the meantime. So it's actually in the midst of this really dedicated work that um, Jen has been doing and that we've been doing together uh, of advocacy and education that we come to you today with this new theme which is all about gifted trauma and healthy boundaries. Um, so I'll hand this over to you, John, so that you can tell us a little bit more uh, of the background of how this conversation came about. Thanks, Karen. So hi, everybody. Uh, nice to be back with you again. So yeah, this conversation came about um, because something that we see very, very often with clients who have gifted trauma uh, is the trouble relating with healthy boundaries. So they're, they're either too much, uh, not enough, so to speak, um, too held back, too scared, too insecure, um, too shy, uh, unable to, to generate the energy they need to reach out to the world. Uh, or like I said, too much and overwhelming people, uh, acting without consent, um, even sometimes being manipulative, uh, intentionally or unintentionally. There's it's a whole gamut, um, but it's basically a kind of relating that doesn't have healthy boundaries. And for any of us who have twice or third or multi other multiple exceptionalities, this can be extra difficult. Um, as sometimes things like autism or other neurological differences can make us unaware of certain 
social norms or struggle with cer certain social norms. So with giftedness and then anything else, any neurological differences that come with it, um, boundaries can be really difficult. So this is something we hear from clients a lot, uh, that we hear about a lot in our community, from our community members. And, um, and it's something that we work with uh, on the theme of gifted trauma. So, uh, so yeah, so w today we, what we wanted to explore more specifically in terms of the boundaries is how we generate aliveness and keep uh, aliveness, a very alive energy about us without uh, going beyond our own boundaries or letting other people in our boundaries or going past other people's boundaries. So what is the way of um, coherent uh, relating? And so Karen's gonna start by explaining some aspects of, of this kind of coherence, which one of them is coherence. Um, and another is organization and the other is aliveness. So these three things together really help us to have healthy boundaries this is a model that Karen works with a lot. So she's going to be sharing with us how this shows up in her work with clients and what she's done in her own life to work on that. And I'm going to be coming along for the ride. So I'll hand it over <laughs> to you, Karen. All right. Uh, thank you, Ben. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot to say on this. Um, uh, so basically what, how I'd like to present this uh, so that everyone who's listening can really plug into what we're saying is imagine like drop for a moment for the time being everything that you know about trauma so far and we'll just pick up these three elements um, so if we imagine at a very basic level that trauma is something that impacts us on these three categories our aliveness if we're going to think about aliveness uh, in concrete terms it's like is it um, is an internal experience? Uh, how much you're feeling um, engaged? Um, how you're how you can sense different parts of your body? So you could say it's a bit of like an opposite of numbness. If we feel uh, depression, collapse, um, experiences where there's a feeling of not really being all there, or your heart not being in it. These are ways that we can imagine uh, aliveness being impacted in a negative way. And in contrast, we all know the experience of um, internally feeling fired up, um, having a glow inside when, uh, when we're in positive context and we feel at peace with ourselves. Um, the excitement and joy of creative uh, explorations, for example, is another uh, kind of aliveness. So um, fill, fill in the blanks as you're following along and think about your own experience of aliveness and how you would describe it for yourself. Then coherence has to do with um, how our different parts relate to one another. So for instance, if you've ever heard about the work of the Heart Math Institute, Jen, are you familiar with this one? Yep, I am. Yeah. So um, they talk about heart coherence, and the, the idea is that when the heart, like the nervous system, the different parts of the nervous system around the brain, let's say, around the heart, and um, other, other models extend that into, let's say, the belly, if all these different parts 
uh, if you imagine that they each have their own sort of nervous uh, system node or almost like a little brain in the heart, a little brain, or some, some people say a bigger even brain in the stomach, you know, mm-hmm. um, then these different brains, are they acting together? Are they fe- feeling with each other or are they at odds with each other? Um, this might sound really weird to imagine that your, your stomach has its own brain and your brain has its own uh, mind of its own and they each are at odds with each other. And yet that is practically what happens in trauma where there might be perhaps not that literally your stomach is at odds with your brain, but there might be um, different rhythms, for example. So you might see this in emotionally in in an experience of being pulled in different directions, for instance. You want to do this, but you want to do that, and you're at odds with yourself. Um, Physically, you might feel like tired and wired at the same time. You have these sort of um, paradoxical states, and these are the the negative experiences when it comes to coherence. Um, Experience of coherence, some words that you could put to that is things make sense. Your life makes sense. There is none of these um, oppositional experiences within ourselves. Um, coherence also is felt as a kind of peace, less conflict within, uh, within the whole. Um, it also is felt as, um, how would I describe it in a real, uh, in a nutshell, it is felt as when you narrate your story, like if you tell your life story, the pieces actually match. There's no breaks in the story. Um, anything that you'd add there for coherence, Jen? No, I think that covers it. But I love the I love the image of when you're telling your story that you don't have the breaks. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that a lot of people just can't imagine because they have <laughs> such a just an incoherent story. Uh, in their, you know, they, they feel it as incoherent that they don't really even know how to explain it. Yeah. Oh, and can relate. To the yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, what we see so often, right, is like that the incoherent story just creates more incoherence. And so it, it's like piles on and piles on and piles on because each, let's say each time you want to reach out to meet a new friend, like let's say you want to meet a new gifted friend and you reach out and then you have like this super incoherent story, um, then you just typically feel that this relationship is also incoherent. And so you just add, like, add that more, like, it's just, you know, more and more incoherence. And it's, it's really tough. Yeah, we also see it when people when gifted people who want, you know, have creative ideas and projects, and mm-hmm. then they go to put them out in the world, there's an ambivalence, or a, mm-hmm. a, what what you would sort of see in the self development world as sabotage. Yep. Um, that kind of stuff. So then um, we come to the third piece about organization, which is um, (laughs) it's not about minimalism. It's like I'm not thinking about Marie Kondo right now. (laughs) (laughs) Organization is, you know, if you think about how living beings, like I'm I'm thinking about a tree right now, how um, the branches are organic certainly but everything has a like the particular shape is um sort of relative to the other pieces set up in such a way that every part contributes to the whole so it's similar to coherence 
but it's also different because it speaks to um, there being uh, less chaos essentially. And so the parts can synergize with each other in the coherence way because they each have their place. And, um, oh, did you say something, John? Sorry. Yeah, I just was going to say, <clears throat> I think of um, coherence a bit like a, a present thing and an, an organization as a past thing mm -hmm. in the sense that organization is like the self kind of like the self-organizing principle like yeah. that that things know how to grow mm -hmm. and in yeah, which direction exactly. to grow and the coherence is like once things are, are are already there how you explain them or how you make sense of them in terms of like some sort of narrative or something yeah exactly um so the and and part of the reason why i was uh using the tree as an analogy too which i think it's it's exactly what you are saying about the things things know how to grow is because um, I want to make sure that our listeners as gifted people who have this uh, increased complexity and sometimes that increased complexity looks like chaos, mm -hmm. that I'm not saying when you're healed, you're going to be uh, very neat <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to have like a super organized calendar. That's not the kind of organization that we're talking about here. Nervous no, not that you'll be boring. Yeah, it doesn't mean you'll be boring. If anything, probably the opposite. Yeah. The boring parts will become more alive and they become also uh, get a place within the whole. So yeah. the organization is, is about things feeling less fragmented as well. Yeah. Um, so these three principles, if we look at them as sort of like a almost objective markers of what, uh, what's your status in terms of your, the health of your ecosystem, then you can, as I was suggesting before, take a little moment to um, give some words to the state of your aliveness, the state of your coherence, and the state of your organization. And, uh, it doesn't have to be on a scale of one to 10. It could be something like qualitative. Is it, uh, what are the colors, sensations, shapes, uh, sounds, smells, all those things. Yeah, and I would add that it, um, it's a bit like when we teach about um, legitimizing gifted needs and we look at Maslow's hierarchy, it's like you can be self-actualized in one area of your life and not in another. So you could, you could have coherence in one area of your life and not in another. Maybe at work yeah. you're brilliant and at home you're a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not to use such a, a, an extreme word, but um, yeah, you could be like really coherent in some areas of your life and not coherent in others. So sometimes when I'm working on these themes with clients, I'm helping them look at the different areas of their life and evaluate all of those different areas as opposed to trying to look at one whole. And that's also, again, with the twice exceptional or multi-exceptional people, you can have um, one area where you've been able to thrive, you know, one, let's say in your giftedness, maybe you were able to thrive, but in your ADHD life, you're not, you haven't been able to thrive. And so um, you can have these, these different kind of mix, mix and match of what's going on. And sometimes it can be really important to look at all of those and not just look at a holistic, not just look at the, you know, holistic 
view for, right from the beginning because sometimes I'll have people just give up when they're looking at the holistic view because they can't they can't find a coherent view of their own coherence yeah. in that sense uh-huh yeah it sort of becomes a kind of monolith right yeah yeah so um it's helpful to have that principle at hand for sure I've seen it be so helpful for clients because we some of us tend to want to look at the big picture more than the little mm -hmm. the tiny bitty steps and the little bitty branches and saying we want to look at the roots you know yeah <laughs> or or the hole or the trunk and uh it's it's so useful to take it into these granular levels um so um let's let's take this to the realm of boundaries and how these three principles of aliveness coherence and organization um give us new tools to work with when we want to develop this satisfying relating that so many of us are looking for that requires healthy boundaries and it's through the boundaries actually that it becomes satisfying um so uh, here I feel a little compelled to jump a little bit and it's gonna look like I'm jumping, but it comes together. So a lot of the comments that we have received from community members and clients have to do a little bit with this uh, feeling of desiring that really, really intense kind of connection that is like, um, I, I would show up and I could be all of who I am and express all my, my thoughts and my feelings and all their glory and all their complexity. And the other person is willing to receive all that and reciprocate in this like beautiful mutuality. And so we have this kind of um, experience almost of merging and synergizing in the joy of sharing this like uh, gifted interiority which is a dream that so many of our gifted peers express and um jen knows that's how i showed up <laughs> at jen's doorstep too and that's how i showed up at my own doorstep earlier on in my life i well. know i mean like i don't think the dream has gone away it has matured yeah mm. So when this, when, when um, we discuss the idea of boundaries with, um, within the community, it at times seems at odds with this dream. It's like, how can I be boundaried and yet still satisfy this need? It's obviously somehow a legitimate need, but how do I do it? <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, where where we might get stuck and I'll share a little bit about what it was like for me is that I came with this dream and I had this dream about relationships and friendships that had this core like a soul connection kind of thing and I I sort of showed up to connect with other people in this very direct unmediated way and that had different degrees of success. So I'm not just gonna say, uh, oh, everything failed. I did have experiences of like deep connection. What happened though, and this is kind of where we think, where I would think about this in terms of like, you know, in romantic relationships, you could say like, 
we should be together because we love each other so much. But then the two people come together and they love each other so much, but they don't have the skills to have a scaffolding or structure to maintain the relationship. So it, the love is that strong spark, but it doesn't um, pay the bills and it doesn't uh, take care of the uh, family of origin trauma that they might be projecting onto each other. Like uh, it doesn't teach them how to communicate in the way that the other person can understand. So there's these like, quote-unquote boring little, <laughs> little skills that we need to have that we don't actually automatically learn uh, gifted or non-gifted alike uh, it's rare for people to come into adulthood equipped with this kind of like real savvy about how to be with another person um, and if we then crave these experiences of real mutuality and merging, then we don't know how to sustain the relationship in the long term so that it's not a one-time thing. Um, yeah, so um, Jen, I'd be really curious as to your thoughts thus far. I have like lots more to say, but yeah. <laughs> I know that you know some things about this. I do. Um, yeah, it's always uh, challenging to to work with clients and to even work with the part in myself that's like, you know, not wanting to um, slow down and learn the micro skills that are needed to, to sustain this kind of soul connection. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, we can see this on TV and in all sorts of media, this idea that um, like, you have this super powerful bond, like you say, like maybe a soul connection or something. Um, and for some people, like I should also say, like there are certainly lots of gifted people who don't have this kind of soul feeling. This is not the mm -hmm. way that they feel their giftedness or express their giftedness. So they're not, you know, they maybe don't have like a high uh, emotional, emotionally rich, complex world. Maybe they're kind of more into the intellectual side and not in the emotional side. Um, so maybe they feel it less like a soul connection, but maybe they feel it something like, you know, somebody that just gets me and I don't have to like go through all the boring, um, you know, little social nicety things. And I don't have to like learn all these micro rules and, and things. Um, so, but wherever we're coming from in that regard, I mean, for a lot of us, we just don't want to slow down and learn those, learn those things. And uh, one of the things is like, culture has changed a lot and like online life has changed our lives so much mm -hmm. and the way that we connect with people has also changed a lot. So even for those of us who, you know, are old enough to have lived pre-internet um, like a significant part of our lives pre-internet till now, there's also like just a lot of societal change in how relationships are like, what are the rules of relationships and how do they work? Um, like even just in my lifetime, I've seen like men's roles change so much and like with the Me Too movement and everything else, like there's so much that has, that has shifted in the way that, um, that we relate. So it's like things are evolving so fast that we necessarily have to learn a lot of these micro skills and a lot of us have to relearn the ones and replace, you know, relearn and replace kind of thing, um, the ones that we learned before. But that can be really dull work, really uninteresting yeah. work. And mm -hmm. it can be very triggering for people who, you know, struggle with their relationships and don't feel safe and stuff. So it's like you say, okay, now you have to learn relating and they're like still in the, 
I'm suffering so much. I, I don't have like space to learn. I don't have emotional space to learn. And so then, yeah, I mean, it's, it can be, yeah, it can be the work in the weeds, so to speak. It might not be the, the funnest work, but it's, it's a part of it. I mean, in terms of sustainability, it's definitely a part of having, um, having a, a good percentage of your needs met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. So then if we think about the idea of aliveness, uh, coherence and organization, these three pieces as, um, also, uh, what would I call it? Like a tool or a handle to imagine our boundaries, not as things that are, curtailing the connection but they're enhancing the connection we could say for instance that um a good boundary is the kind of boundary that is going to um a increase your aliveness and b um support the aliveness of the other person that you want to connect with so in trauma one of the things that happens is that we uh, we might have uh, developed a, a relationship to our own aliveness that is less than healthy. And this can show up in a million ways. So it could mean, for instance, that being a real um, vibrant, uh, you know, like the little kids who might be really loud or chatty or curious, and that aliveness has been criticized. So then when it's about to come out in adulthood and it has not, we haven't had a chance to develop these micro skills of cultivation. And then we're about to be like really spontaneous. Then a part of us will go inside like and cringe or contract around that experience in the body of like, I'm going to, I'm about to open my mouth and then like my jaw clamps down and my chest caves in or something like that. Um, there could be other ways where we sort of overemphasize the aliveness. And this is where we see sort of like an, um, it, it's like being louder than maybe we'd want to be, for instance, or um, let's say uh, almost as a, um, as a reaction to express like everything all at once because you don't know if the other person is going to have enough time to listen to you, for example. So it's like, have a talk really, really fast and uh, get my thoughts in and uh, put myself out there and uh, not, not really uh, be able to give space and spaciousness for the flow of aliveness to develop. Another example could be um, what, what I call leaks in aliveness where it's just like little things, death by a thousand cuts. It can come in the form of um, thoughts that bring us down. Uh, it can come in the form of behaviors that the moment that we feel good, we might do a little behavior that brings us down again. It could be something as simple as eating something that you know doesn't quite agree with you just after you had something that was really positive. Um, do you have any examples that you want to share, Jen? Yeah, I'm thinking of <laughs> all the I'm, examples. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of a lot, but I'm thinking of, yeah, lots of people that I have known and sometimes myself 
yeah exactly doing what you said like something something great is happening you feel really good you're feeling that aliveness and then it's like uh oh better 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 tone that down by doing some sort of addictive behavior or Mm -hmm. going into overthinking um a client was just telling me yesterday uh during an assessment that she um that each time she would have this like burst of aliveness then it would start to go you better write a book about this you better Mm -hmm. create some great content about this you better and it's like it might just be a simple aliveness like you know i'm seeing a flower and it's just so beautiful and i'm so happy right now because of that flower and it's like you better write a book about that flower it's like (laughs) everything that comes up you better do that you better do that you better do that and um and you know that can come that kind of stuff can come from carried emotions Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's like somebody told you along the way that you better you better be more you better be doing more than you're doing you better like you use your gifts to help other people you better whatever fill in the blank um, and that it stays with you and there's kind of these voices that show up every time that something is is feeling you know nice and peaceful the other thing that comes to my mind is um going to provoke com- uh, conflict with a, mm-hmm. somebody that you live with <laughs> it's a really common one I see so yeah. yay happy me I'll just go now I'll just go provoke conflict so that I can be you know not having to feel this aliveness and one of the big things um, that I see is that it's that it's difficult to feel alive in the body so it's literally difficult to feel the feelings of aliveness so a client I was working with today uh, was telling me that she's struggling when people are saying to her, um, you know, your presentation was so good and stuff. She's like, okay, that's good. That, that feels good for a minute, but then maybe they're just flattering me. Maybe it's just that they didn't listen very well. And so uh-huh. it's like kind of imposter syndrome comes up. And so it's like, we were talking about the difficulty of just feeling that in your body, just feeling the fact that somebody appreciates what you did. Mm-hmm. and sitting mm-hmm. with that and it's really tough for her and there's something she's worked you know worked really hard on yeah um, so those are I, common things I think it's really great that you're bringing that up because it to me it also ties in with the idea of gifted perfectionism yeah and how um uh, it's often described as inherent to giftedness and yes I believe in parts there is a tendency towards wanting that excellence wanting that little extra more and little extra more and little extra more until the vision is realized um at the same time though uh i know for myself i've conflated that desire for excellence with that uh toning down of aliveness so the two things came together so after uh, doing you know like really hard work in in something that i'm just learning for instance i would sit with myself and run over everything that went wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And go like, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And sure, it was really funny because it's like these two drives uh, merging with each other so that actually both come through. I do learn through that, but I'm learning through this real real uh, it's like i'm putting myself in the most hostile environment and and, and there i am trying to learn and, and yeah. <laughs> since i since i realized that i was like that's not how people learn no but you know it, it's like a state-based learning issue that if uh-huh. that's the way that you learned growing up by somebody uh-huh. coming behind you every time you learn something saying this is what you did wrong that's what you did wrong that's how you learn to learn i mean yeah and then i mean 
I don't know if that was your situation, but that that's a common thing where it's like we learn to criticize ourselves, not just because we're like annoying people, <laughs> not just because we're good at being our own bullies or something, but like mm-hmm. because that's what we learned to do. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in my case, it was very not safe to um, make mistakes. Like mm-hmm. making mistakes was not just making mistakes. It was uh, it was charged with emotional content from yeah. others. So I had to use that. Um, and additionally, uh, it was very safe to be on the good side of teachers, for instance. That yeah. was like the thing that provided safety. So um, not making mistakes would ensure that I'd have that. Yeah. Um, during all this, in case anyone who's listening can relate or has... <laughs> been baffled by these tendencies while not necessarily having an anchor to where they come from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I do want to add one more yeah. that I think is really important for anybody who's gone through religious trauma. Oh, good one. Yeah. Um, or ideological trauma. Uh, so in, in the previous discussions, uh, our previous discussions for the podcast, I've talked about uh, my religious trauma uh, growing up. And, you know, for us, it was like, God is always there watching you and basically you're not supposed to be too happy because if you're happy, then you're obviously sinning. Mm, You're obviously doing something wrong. You have to have joy in the Lord. You know, this is what we were told. But if you're having like other joy, something isn't right. Uh So, and, and you're, no, you're at risk. And so I had, you know, I've struggled with all sorts of mental health uh, things along the way. Um, and one of the manifestations of that is strong OCD tendencies. And so I took this very superstitious way of that being like, if this happens, then I'm going to get punished. And so, and, and a lot of why I developed all these superstitions is I didn't really believe this stuff, but I was stuck in that world and I couldn't get out. And so it was like, I did, my mind did something sort of creative, but not very healthy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not very healthy is quite euphemistic it was it was very unhealthy mm-hmm. and so I would so I created these stories in my head if I'm happy then God's going to punish me or mm-hmm. even if God doesn't exist there's going to be some sort of universal punishment because that's just the way things work and so um, so even after I you know grew up grew up and got to leave the religion and everything officially um, and I didn't have any sort of belief in God or anything the, the thoughts would still come to me. Something good would yeah. happen to me. And then I'd be walking around thinking, I better ruin this for myself first, because if not, the universe is definitely going to ruin it for me. And I would logically be able to look at that and say, that is absolutely ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. you're making up these fantasy stories, but I couldn't get it out of my body. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's that, that's uh, like one of the examples of coherence that we were talking about and, and organization. One part of you knew and the other part of you was in its own world, essentially. Yeah. And in that trauma world where it doesn't matter how much you tell that part, which is the body, uh, it doesn't matter how much you tell the body that things are different, the body has learned uh, and wisely kept us safe, basically, by following these irrational impulses. Yeah. Yeah. Another one that came to mind was uh, related to what you said earlier about um, this uh, big picture overwhelm, the monolith, right? Mm-hmm. Where uh, it also connected to what you shared about your client. Uh, the I have to, I better write a book about this. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment that there is a spark of inspiration or joy, having to have, having to turn it into 
uh, fully fleshed. It, it doesn't have to be like a book, but uh, having to figure out how it fits into everything. Yeah. And so having to take the little spark of, of joy, pleasure, aliveness, and put it in some kind of grand framework, whether it is a plan of some sort or a philosophy or an ideology and uh, trying to uh, sort of t take it uh, out of the bodily context of really enjoying the sensation and letting it unfold and then taking uh, ourselves out of that. Uh, present moment awareness into what does this mean mm -hmm. yeah straight into the intellect and um another sort of manifestation of that is when it um when when we feel forced to take it into the social world so like mm -hmm. i might be experiencing pleasure and then uh then i go like oh who can i sh who can i give this to and i know yeah. so many women uh, uh -huh. those of us who are raised to be like very servile uh, to other people is like you know you have something good and you look around who can i give this to who can i help with this i can't sit here and feel that like so many women feel so much guilt when they feel like above a certain threshold of aliveness in themselves they feel so guilty that they look around and think who can i give this to i got to give this to somebody and you know we've seen uh so many people so many gifted women who are like giving those gifts away to a partner or a boss or everybody at work or everybody else's kids or, you know, all the animals in the neighborhood or I don't know something where it's like uh -huh. pouring it out, but there's still a lack of aliveness in them. And it's, that's a really sad, you know, formula. Yeah. And it gets uh, sort of um, mixed in, in non-constructive ways with the gifted idealism where it yeah. becomes justified because of our values yeah. that that's that's the good thing to do that's the right thing to do um which actually brings me to the uh, full circle actually to the question of boundaries and aliveness yeah where um it, the one of the common themes on how we go astray with our aliveness based on our trauma states is that we have not had the experiences where we really get to value our aliveness almost as as we would value wealth like money if you had yeah. lots and lots of money and you were like rich and you could do wonderful things with that money or or you could just spend it on gambling or you fill in the blanks right yeah um and so taking for for the self relationship aspect of the boundaries of our aliveness what we first need to do is reframe our aliveness as something that is really valuable and really precious in and of itself, rather than for what it can do for us. Yeah. And, and for in the gifted, oh, go ahead. Oh, we're just going to finish that by saying like, yeah. then we can decide what to invest it in after yeah. we've valued it. Well, and so what I wanted to say, like in terms of on the meta level, meta level, uh, in terms of like the gifted literature and uh, gifted rhetoric is that a lot of gifted modeling is around potential and fulfilling yeah. potential and precocity and this idea of like, what are you going to do with this thing? Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, it's again, like you said, it, with the gifted idealism, it can be, these things can get justified. This kind of yeah. lack of aliveness, you know, lack of valuing our own inner experience of aliveness before it ever does anything out there in the world, 
um, that's kind of built, you know, built into some of the gifted rhetoric. And it's a huge problem, obviously, for a lot of people because um, they grow up thinking that my value lies in what I can do for other people or my value lies in what I, how I perform as opposed to the value lies in the aliveness that exists in me. And then, of mm-hmm. course, maybe that magically, um, you know, or through hard work, um, does something in the, in the outside world. And maybe that does increase aliveness, and that's beautiful. But if it's not valued to begin with, it never really increases the aliveness. It's like the, you know, black hole that you could, the outside can give you, you can do everything on the outside, that you can write all the books, and you can do all the performances, and you can help all the animals in the neighborhood or whatever Mm -hmm. and it can that a lot of aliveness can come to you through that but because it's like a black hole it just you don't feel it you feel it for a minute maybe but you know it's not it's not a kind of sustainable feeling yeah there's no experience of lasting satisfaction necessarily yeah yeah um so this this would be the starting point, I would say, for listeners who feel uh, find themselves challenged uh, by trauma to uh, either because the aliveness is leaking or repressed or um, fragmented in some way, so that so only some places have aliveness but not others. To um, to explore what it would be like to imagine that the aliveness is valuable for its own sake and even it in itself brings satisfaction. So it's not like we need to start looking for it somewhere. I mean, we, like you were saying, we could do something really wonderful in the world and get aliveness from it. Uh, But we also come in with aliveness. So it's like we already have basic income and then you could build wealth on top of that. What would you say to somebody who says, yeah, but I don't, I didn't come with basic income. I don't have it. Well, um, I would say that trauma cuts us off from our aliveness for sure. And then that it would be probably really meaningful in a case like that to explore where, where was aliveness cut off, taken away, uh, you know, a co-opted. This happens a lot with gifted people mm-hmm. where we see, we're, we see, um, I see lots of clients who, come to me and they're like they're like oh i can't i don't know how other people do all this stuff i'm always so tired and when we take inventory of how much they're doing for others really not necessarily sometimes it doesn't look like they're doing anything but they're doing a lot in these uh invisible ways managing other people's feelings anticipating expectations um completing tasks in ways that are extremely complex and you know fine-tuned without even noticing that something is being done because it's so natural to them it it's their gifted expression it's like this is really natural to them so from the outside it looks like they're doing nothing they're not even trying Mm -hmm. and so i would say aliveness is always there it's just a matter of doing the detective work of finding out where it went yeah and i would add something that i see not so rarely is um, is when like the aliveness kind of got co-opted or like um, repressed or something suppressed um, like in the pre-verbal stage so like when you're really really a tiny infant yeah uh, and then it's really hard to work on the issue in a verbal way mm-hmm. it's hard to access it through words because 
yeah, a therapist can ask you, what do you remember about such and such? And you can go back as far as you have mem conscious memories, but what about before that? And um, that's a tough, that's a tough space to work in. And for people who are struggling with that, and I, I always recommend body work, like actually working with the body as opposed to working through words and language and the mind and things that take sort of a more conscious brain, um, you know, organization. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and we'll have, re we'll talk about resources for that at the end of our, yeah. our um, discussion today. And we'll provide links to those as usual in our, in our notes in our yeah. session conversation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i wanted to like um add uh, something for people who are listening maybe for the first time and maybe curious how come intergifted shares so much stuff about the body when giftedness is supposed to be about the mind uh this is the reason why uh so you'll see us uh with uh, sharing a lot of things about somatic education somatic healing grounding uh nervous system regulation so if you hear any of those terms this is what we're referring to they're the bridges and the tools that allow us to create this kind of what we were saying coherence and organization with our aliveness yeah and of course without a body we don't have any aliveness <laughs> so <laughs> we do not want to forget about the body definitely don't want to forget about the body and it's it, it's what we found what happens when when we we have worked ourselves with our bodies uh, as an incredible avenue of healing and uh joy and pleasure and uh rooting into life and so on is that the things that didn't heal by thinking about them or by processing them emotionally definitely heal through the body Um, yeah, so we're coming roughly to the one hour mark and I'm thinking, wondering if we want to talk more in depth about coherence and organization in another chat. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is already a lot to work with for many people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could spend uh, days and days talking just about the aliveness piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's difficult to really address the questions of coherence and organization when you don't have awareness of the aliveness. I mean, the aliveness is always the place we start. Yeah. yeah uh, exactly. It's life energy that has to be, has to be present in order to have the motivation and the, the, the wherewithal to start organizing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's developmental as well. So we were talking about the somatic piece. And so the first is the aliveness of, let's say, the embryo. And then the complexity and the organization increases. Since we were saying uh, this piece about preverbal um, trauma could be or places where we get stuck developmentally, this, this can be really, really big for our nervous systems. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that, at this point, I would say, um, I just want to extend an invitation to our listeners um, to share questions and uh, parts of, of the conversation that really stand out for you, that resonate for you, and or things that maybe you'd like to hear more about. 
um, between now and the time that we address the other two categories of coherence and organization so that we can explore them in a way that's meaningful to you. And, yeah, and uh, oh, go ahead. No, finish and then I'll chime in. Oh, and I was going to say, and then we can talk a little bit about resources. Yeah. Um, and before we talk about resources, I would also add a more generic invitation uh, in terms of, you know, these times that we're in with the coronavirus and the whole world being in a strange situation of lockdown and, or most of the world anyway, and all the things that are going on, even with the climate, um, the climate change issues, the climate emergency and everything that's going on around the world right now and in our personal lives as well. Um, this is really a time to ask these fundamental questions, such as the aliveness. Um, because without really awareness of our aliveness and without appropriate boundaries, it's tempting for us to kind of be swept up in whatever currents there are uh, going on right now. And I think this might sound a bit sort of prescriptive, and I don't mean it that way, but um, this is, you know, this is the world we all live and each of our lives is the life we live. And so we have to some degree responsibility toward ourselves and toward the collective to really be cultivating awareness. And when we look around and we see how many people are interacting with other people through a, through a trauma lens, through, I mean, through the filter of their, their own trauma, I mean, we see it all the time. Um, you know, it's not generative and it's, we can see how destructive it is, how, how destructive it is for them as individuals and for the collective as a whole. And so the work each of us do on becoming aware of our aliveness and increasing our coherence and increasing our self-organization, um, you know, it's all, it all contributes both to our own evolution in this matter and uh, to the collective evolution. So that's not to, you know, add on something, like I said, it's not supposed to be prescriptive, like you should, um, it's not a moral injunction or something, but it's, um, it, I think it's something to think about because a lot of times we're, yeah, we're kind of in this flow and not really thinking about how the work we do uh, on our self-development or on our, however you want to call it, on our self-leadership or just on our self daily self-management, sometimes we're not thinking about how that is sort of a responsibility toward ourselves and toward the world that we live in. And um, realizing that I think can bring a lot of hope to, mm -hmm. to the situation and, and to ourselves as we're going through it. I mean, none of us can control the total outcome. Uh, it depends on too many complex factors, but we can do our part. And a lot of times doing our part is very healing. Yeah. I mean, knowing that you're taking the responsibility that's presented to you can be very healing as well, as long as you're not doing it from a place of force and telling yourself, you know, I must, otherwise I'm a bad person. Okay, that's not what we're talking about at all. But No, not at all. In your article at the end, you talked about beautiful actions and moral action mm -hmm. in relation to uh, being engaged ecologically. And I think this is, this, this ties in with that for sure, where it, uh, Yes, being stewards of our aliveness could be a beautiful action. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I look at the world, a sort of big theory I have, you know, call it whatever, whatever you want, crazy or interesting. Um, it's like we, we have this trend of taking alive things and then turning them into dead things. Yeah. So we take trees and then we turn them into whatever houses or paper or toilet paper. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, we take these, these material, these, not materials, but these, these beings that are alive, let's say nothing about factory farming and all of that. Um, we take these beings that are alive and we turn them into something dead. And so we end up sort of living in a world of relics and yeah. non-alive things. And when you think about a lot of the, the issues around like kids not going outside a lot. And uh, I read a study like 90% um, what was it? 90% of Americans aren't, are, are spending like less than, I don't know, one hour in nature a week or something. Some very extreme number. I'm probably quoting it wrong. Um, but in that direction. And, you know, we sort of end up living in a kind of not alive world. Yeah. You know, we live with all these machines around all the time. And so there's, I'm not saying that any of that's bad, but I think it's, it's interesting for us to think about when we're thinking about cultivating our own aliveness. And then we think about the way that that we are functioning as a society, as a society, turning alive things into dead things, uh, you know, and and so it, it's also kind of a reminder, like we also have to kind of live in this alive world around us, and not just, um, you know, live in a non-alive world and then expect ourselves to be fully alive. <laughs> yeah, have this great <laughs> aliveness in this sort of dead world. So it, I'm being, you know, sort of categorical there, and it's it's way more complex than that, but. It's something I've thought a lot about. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to exploring it more in a different conversation because I feel like we could talk about that particular piece for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love to, not just we could. I also would really love to. So in terms of resources, um, the one that comes to my mind is to share Esther's uh, website. So Esther is our... Um, gifted specific body therapist and so she works with uh, gifted people on resolving trauma through the body we're going to put her link there she's fantastic at the work she does her work has been amazing for me uh, mm -hmm. i recommend her all the time and um, then we're going to be putting some links to i'll put a link to my article i'll put a link to the heart math institute mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to our i heart earth project is there anything else that you can think of that we should include a lot of the uh, somatic education material that we've shared in past uh, episodes really applies here as, you know, Peter Levine and yeah. polyvagal theory and all those uh, neurobiology pieces really address the aliveness question. So if you, if you listeners want to do some homework, <laughs> that's where you can look at let's say fight flight freeze and fawn and see what kind of aliveness is what kind of aliveness state is in each one so that would be pete walker's work yeah 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 and uh, our conversation three was on specifically gifted trauma in the body so yeah. that's full of all interesting information on this topic if you haven't heard of it from a different angle but it's still talking about the body yeah. Did we ever talk about Dr. Rick Hansen's work? He talks about uh, he he talks about it a little differently, but essentially his work is about increasing our wiring and tolerance for aliveness because we have this negativity bias built in. So we'll, we'll pay more attention and therefore wire more for a, a negative experience, painful experience. And his work is all about teaching us how to. Um, in train and and um, yeah, really wire our nervous system 
for positive experiences, joyful experiences, experiences of safety, uh, gratitude, satisfaction, that kind of thing. And these are all the kinds of experiences that will increase our aliveness. So um, we could put a link to yeah. his work. Yeah, great idea. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jen, for your input and uh, for having this amazing conversation with me. Well, thank you for leading it. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful right. information. Yeah. So we'll see you all next time or talk to, well, talk to you all next time. <laughs> we'll talk at you next time. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk at you next time. Yes. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>